Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Universe. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show was Lonnie. Well, it's Lonnie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, it's Lonnie Nadler, isn't it? <laughs> it's apparently a very hard name for Kenneth to say. Yes. Apparently. <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, Lonnie. Kenneth's no talking well today. Seriously, I... I I do speak good. <laughs> usually, you're usually you're like the king of names too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the heck was going on there. Oh, uh, but yeah, Casey sat down with Lonnie. They talked about Cable and X Men and and all the stuff he's writing. And uh, they had a grand old time. It's, it's I, I I gotta say, man, when I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into while I was listening to this, listening to this, you know, getting ready for the intro outros. Yeah, it's a lot, it's actually a really it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun than I expected because I didn't. Well, one, I usually expect it just to be a regular interview, and I'm always surprised because our guys do great jobs. Yep. But this one's pretty good. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So why don't we just sit back and listen to Lonnie Nadler in his own words? All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have writer Lonnie Nadler. Now, Lonnie has done a ton of stuff, both in the indie publishing world and with Marvel Comics. I mean, he he may or may not have written the next book. You know, that's that's kind of a big deal. So, Lonnie, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, as good as I as good as I can be in in this crazy year we're having. <sighs> Dude, yeah, it, the hits keep coming, and I don't know how things are in Vancouver, but in Birmingham, Alabama, people are very concerned about the rots being taken away by these goddamn masks. <laughs> so that's what that's what I'm dealing with, especially on a personal level, because I work with these rednecks. So, I mean that, I, and I'm not at all saying that I'm not also a redneck. <laughs> However, I know that you know put a mask on it it will help to mitigate the damage of a disease that that likes to spread so <laughs> yeah that's that's that must be tough i mean I, there's we had a protest i'm in vancouver in canada and we had a, a group protesting downtown the other day because they didn't want to wear masks so like i think it's a bunch of jackass some of that wherever you are i guess Oh man, we we haven't had like Matt. I, I'm shocked too because Alabama is the only deep South state. We're surrounded by states that do not have mask orders. In fact, Georgia had a their their governor Brian Kemp uh, is, 
complete jackass. However, uh, he he put an order out the other day where um, that basically negated any local mask orders that would that would go up. So if Atlanta wanted to do a mask order, he basically nullified it, and made it so oh. it didn't. Yeah. So it's like they they want us to die. <laughs> yeah. Such a, such a weird like thing to take a political stance on, but I guess. <sighs> It's hard to uh, everything these days people see as a means to like put political tape on. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is, and it's all we can do is like do the best we can and try to spread the good word and and not spread the virus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, spread the good word. Don't spread the virus. That's the- so. It, anyway, you know my feelings about this are pretty. So I, I was at a Kid Rock show. It, it was a Kid Rock tribute show the other day. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nobody was wearing these masks at yeah. this. <laughs> nah, man. So uh, comics, man, you, you do them. Not only that, though, you, you do a lot of stuff. You do film and you also write. You've written for Vice? Yeah. How? Yeah, I try to do a lot. I mean, a, a, whatever writing I can do, I'll do it. <laughs> You wear a lot of hats, man. Yeah. it's. I don't know. I've had just sort of a weird career, I guess. And I like all of these different mediums. And that's something I've sort of come to terms with uh, recently is that I'm just a, a kind of person who likes to have their hands in everything. And I think at the end of the day, to me, it's all storytelling. But each of these uh, mediums offers different ways to tell stories. And, and I'm just attracted to the different ways I'm able to to manipulate them. I, I hear you. And, and being that, you know, you, you operate in different mediums, have you been able to, to really kind of take anything from filmmaking or, you know, comic writing and, and, and inject that into some of the other things that you do? Yeah, I think something I definitely sort of like cross pollinate. And while I try to, you know, I, I try to make my comics, my comics, you know, like I don't want them to be, I don't want them to feel like movies and I don't want the movies I make to feel like comics. But at the same time, I think it's important to be influenced and inspired by uh, a bevy of, of things. And if you can draw from these different places, I think it, it makes the work more interesting because especially in comics, it can be very incestuous for lack of a better word. But like there's so many people who are just inspired by Jim Lee. You know, for example, Jim Lee's amazing, of course, but if you're just inspired by him, you're going to try to draw like him, and it's inevitably going to be looked at as like a just a worse yeah. Jim Lee or a Jim Lee clone, whatever, right? And there's plenty of those around. But if you're, you know, like me, a writer, and, and you know, I'm able to draw inspiration from literature, from poetry, from journalism, and inject that into comics, for example, I the hope is that it makes the work a bit more interesting and maybe uh, I have a, a bit more of a unique perspective on it than someone who's like just been reading comics their whole life. That, that's awesome. So, so what, where did you start? Like, because you, you, since you wear so many hats, I mean, what, what was the origin? What was the, the, how did you start doing, you know, working creatively? So when I was in um, high school, I mean, I wanted to be a writer since I was like a little kid. Like when I was like seven or eight years old, I told my parents I wanted to write. 
And that was always sort of on the back burner. You know, I had a bunch of different like career aspirations throughout high school, but but mostly because like I didn't think I'd ever actually be able to be a writer. So I went to university and I studied English literature and philosophy. And while I got a lot about got a lot out of that, but there was no creative there wasn't many creative outlets at, at my school. They're like a pretty um, old school university who they have no like liberal arts stuff. And so while I was there, I started writing short stories, but I also like I'd wanted to write comics, like I said, since high school. And so I started like wanting to do that. So just me and a couple friends would get together every week and we started like our own stupid little independent publishing house and we just made <laughs> zines together and comics and stuff like that and that was so like fulfilling compared to the like academic side of things I was doing that I just immediately was kind of just like oh I need to be doing this so I kept making comics I kept writing stories and then I got a job after right out of university as a comic book journalist for a horror website called Bloody Disgusting and so that was this weird crossover of like my comics, my love for comics, my love for film, because they were also a film website and doing journalism. And then like everything kind of, everything else kind of spun out of that in a weird way. Like I met people in comics through that. I met people in film through that. And having the like journalism background allowed me to then go on to places like Vice and HuffPost and stuff like that. That's awesome. So who's your, your journalistic heroes? I don't know that I really have any, like, like, uh, you know, my mind goes to people like Hunter S. Thompson, but I don't, I'm more so inspired by like who he was than his actual like writing style or anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, like I mostly, most of my journalism other than the comic stuff was for Vice. So it's just that kind of like transgressive, put yourself in there attitude, but Maybe there's like documentarians who I'm more inspired by than writers, but I'm a big fan of people like Werner Herzog and Louis Theroux and guys like that who just sort of throw themselves into these situations and become a part of it. And there's also a lot of photographers who do sort of like documentary news photography that I like. Like Antoine de Gattas is one of them and he's like, his photography is, is horrifying and haunting. He would go into like, crack houses and heroin dens and live with these people for like months at a time while also taking photos and just that sense of immersion and dedication to like putting yourself in a world is something that inspires me yeah those guys uh, i've had the opportunity to talk to a few like overseas news photographers and balls of steel for those people oh my god some of the situations they put themselves in to uh, to tell the story and to to make people care yes. is is so admirable but at the same time I'm just like oh my god please be careful <laughs> yeah and it's like I have uh, a friend of mine who works for Vice he was it wasn't for Vice I forget who he worked for before but he was like basically a war correspondent and would be like you know out there with one cameraman to the point where like he was getting shot at and stuff and I'm just like dude, how do you do that? Like, how do you put yourself <laughs> in those situations? Oh, but yeah. it's just this like, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's this like desire to get the truth out there while also like being some sort of rush. So some, some writers are, are just people that kind of do it off the dome and just kind of 
spill it out onto the page and just make it up as they go. And then some people are, are kind of sponges and they'll, they'll get their, you know, little tidbits, little, little situations from, from, you know, learning from other people and being around other people. Are, are you a sponge or are you a, are you an off the dome guy? Like what, what, where do you get your inspiration? Hmm. I think I, I try to do a bit of both, I guess, but like, I mean, most of the time I'm writing, I'm, I'm sitting I'm by myself doing crazy amounts of research and drawing from that kind of stuff as opposed to uh, real life. That said, the writers that I often admire most are the ones who draw from real real life. So I'm trying to do that more than I have been previously. But it's tough, you know, when you get into like a habit of you're so set in your ways that like you don't think any other way is possible. So it's hard to like train myself to to do that. But I don't know if this really answers the question, but like I'm a very structured writer and I like I like to organize and like plan stuff and I've really uh, comprehensive, dense outlines. But at the same time, I love people who, like you say, just do stuff off the cuff, who just kind of sit down and write and, and they'll figure it out as they go. And I'm, I'm trying real hard to like get a little bit more into that, but it's tough. Yeah. You, you did a, uh, a book called The Dregs that re- really, I, I enjoyed it. And it, it dealt with a lot of things that are kind of current to now and specifically like the the homelessness and all this other terrible you know the the blight of the the city and people coming in and just swooping up property did you draw inspiration for from that for for real life or is it uh what what drew you to that story yeah that was one so i I co-wrote that with my friend zach thompson who i read a lot of stuff with and we were both journalists for vice at the time and you were both living in vancouver and the city was going through this horrible drug drug epidemic with specifically with fentanyl overdoses and it was it was to the point where, and for some reason, Vancouver got hit before a lot of places in the States did. And it was so crazy. And Zach and I sort of picked up on this because of our journalism. We were aware of it. And we thought, you know, we should tell us some sort of story about this. And Zach had this old story uh, about a homeless detective that he wanted to do that he sort of dug up and we reworked it from the ground up. And then we would we interviewed homeless people and walked around our version of Skid Row and stuff like that. So we drew, drew a lot from like people, homeless people in our actual city and addicts in our city and just reading lots of, just reading the news every day. And as we were writing it, this epidemic was just getting worse and the overdose were kept increasing. And it was just like sort of one of those like lightning in a bottle situations where we'd picked a topic and it just happened to be blowing up around the world as we were writing this fictionalized version of it. So it was was pretty serendipitous in that sense. But yeah, I I was going to say things in the city got so crazy to the point. I remember there was a a headline that like rocked me and Zach that said, overdose death rates are so high that there's no more room in the city morgues. Like that's horrifying. That yeah. So many people were dying and they had nowhere to put these bodies at the morgues were just full. I, one thing I love about fiction like this is that you can kind of use your platform. You know, it's, it's ostensibly a, a detective novel, 
but you can say so much more with your story than just, you know, the, this guy, you know, trying to, to solve a mystery. You, you can make it, you know, about that. And, you know, drug addiction's terrible. Home, you know, people mm-hmm. need homeless. Gentrification is a terrible thing. All this other stuff. And, and I love that you were able to kind of work that in there. Um, was that by design or was it just kind of like a happy accident that you, that you decided to, to go into that in the story? Yeah, that was definitely something we wanted to do from the start. It was like we knew we wanted to tell a detective story because we also loved that, but we wanted it to be based in real-world contemporary issues. And it's sort of, I'm a big fan of, of genre stuff, you know, whether that's like uh, mystery stuff or noir or horror or science fiction. I just like genre play. But I, I also am very aware of, you know, these genres are old and people have done the same thing over and over again. So how can you use these genres to say something about contemporary society is something that I'm always trying to ask myself and sort of repackage the tools and the tropes to say something that's hopefully uh, more profound for a modern audience. And I, I don't like books that are particularly didactic. Like I don't, I don't work I don't like stuff that's trying to t- teach the reader, you know, because then nobody likes feeling like they're being taught a lesson. So to do that stuff in a way that feels natural and subtle where you're not beating the reader over the head with it is I love reading that. And so that's kind of what I try to create. And specifically with the Drakes, that's what we wanted to do. That's awesome. And so you you do stuff like that and then you decided to work for some little startup called Marvel. So you going from from indie books to to Marvel was that kind of a culture shock for you? Totally. Yeah, it was a huge huge shift, you know, coming from mostly journalism and indie comics where you know, it, in journalism I obviously had editors and so I was prepared in that sense, but comics I was so used to doing whatever I wanted that going to a place like Marvel where it's it's quite hands-on it was like a huge shift for me but it's just something that i had to learn to adjust to at the end of the day i'm glad you brought that up actually because people think you know going from indie to to marvel or dc is like oh you graduated to the big leagues yeah but you also have a big freaking muzzle on your face so yeah how how was your dealing with editorial was was that uh, a pleasant experience or was it like kind of yeah i mean it is it's interesting because it's true like even even for me like most of the books i love are are not big two books but i still put this value on myself as if like i'm worthless unless i'm writing for marvel or dc and after having done it it's kind of like and i don't mean to sound ungrateful because it was obviously an amazing it's been an amazing experience but i'm I'm just kind of like People shouldn't think that way because telling your own stories is also incredibly valuable and incredibly rewarding. But to answer your question about editorial, like I didn't, I haven't worked with all the editors there. I, I worked with just a, a handful, mostly with with Darren Shan, who was 
at the X-Men office and then he changed offices to the, now he, he edits the cosmic stuff. And, and Darren's a, a friend of mine. We became pretty close over this. So, and his love for comics is, is really uh, infectious and inspiring. And it's, I think one thing that unites all the editors at Marvel, which people will probably want to hear is they love comics more than anyone. And they know Marvel history, like crazy. Like it's, it's, insane how much these people know about marvel so it's like you feel like you're in good hands and when, when you get a note it, even if you disagree with it you know it's coming from a place that's informed so i always appreciated that okay yeah blah 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 everybody at marvel is great but tell us about the real scumbags <laughs> nobody's gonna hear this it's no i'm, I'm joking <laughs> i want you to keep getting paid by marvel <laughs> No, no. You brought up so many things that that, that I'm glad you you kind of uh, spoke on because when you were talking about ad- putting value to yourself by by working for for one of the big two, I mean, in a way though, you you also kind of that you that is that's little not Lonnie Nadler seeing himself as as an adult doing the thing that he wanted to do as yes. a kid. So you you kind of have to. You of course you have that outlook at first, and and I'm sure afterwards you're just like it's like any other writing job. But was there was there anyone there at Marvel that kind of took you under their wing that kind of showed you the ropes? I mean, not yes and no. It's hard to. Well, yes. Okay, I'll, I guess I can get into it a bit. Like, and and it wasn't just at Marvel, but someone who's sort of had my back since the start was Matthew Rosenberg. Um, oh, he's a great dude. Yeah, he. I mean, he's partially responsible for the dregs getting published. Oh, really? And then, because he was sort of helping Black Mask out at the time, just looking okay. at pitches and stuff to see, like, to give his opinion on, on what was uh, what might be worth publishing. And he knew me from my journalism days, and so he looked at my pitch and and he saw something in it. Thankfully and pass it on or said something to the publisher. I don't know the exact details, but he was somehow involved um, in like putting in a good word that I definitely did not ask for, <laughs> but I'm thankful uh, that he did it. Anyway, so the book, The Dregs comes out, and I think after like three issues, two issues or something, Rosenberg just made a tweet saying like, this book is incredible, everyone should be reading it. And because he made that tweet... Axel Alonso, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time, saw that and asked to read the Drakes. And so Rosenberg sent it to him, <clears throat> and that's basically how we got in at Marvel. That's that's awesome. Yeah, Axel's doing his own thing now at a- AWA and yeah. putting out some really fantastic books. Yeah, he's, I mean, it's Axel Alonso. The dude's like, his career is so... The books that he's put out, he's a legend, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, can you tell me about, so w- when you're writing an X book, you not only have to worry about your book, you have all these other things going on, you know, a lot of plates to spin. How was your experience with that? I mean, you guys had a, a talented, supremely talented group of people on those books at the time. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I assume you're referring to the Age of X-Men event stuff. Um, yes. Yeah, so that was, I mean, that was a really 
interesting experience. Zach and I were like, you know, we were thrown into the deep end as as guys who had only ever, at that point, I think we'd only written one series for Marvel or two, sorry. And then they asked us to sort of lead this event. And of course we said yes. And it was an amazing experience to get to do that, but also like super overwhelming at points. But, but like you said, we were thankful to get the people on board that we did because it made our jobs easier to, to know like, okay, this world we created and this book that we have an idea for uh, that we're pretty attached to, it's like, okay, but it's being written by Ed Brisson. And yeah, yeah. Ed is amazing, and Ed's a good friend of ours, so, like, we knew we were in good hands. And then, like, you know, hiring people like Vita, it was kind of, uh, we didn't really specifically get to request who was going to be on books, but Zach and I had, like, talked about who we would want, theoretically, on these books, if we got to pick, and Vita was someone that we'd wanted so it was like things just sort of worked out and we felt like pretty fortunate to 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 be part of that and the editors you know made it the smoothest ride that they could that that's awesome vita is just super talented and i've i've been able to actually talk to to kelly thompson and she couldn't have been more fabulous really really awesome lady and Leah Williams, I think she's just fantastic. So yeah, they're all like, not only are they like good writers, they're also just the nicest people. <laughs> so it's it's easy to to work with people who are passionate, but also just good people, you know. Oh, I bet, I bet, and it's I'm I'm sure it, like the bad people kind of weed themselves out after a while because <laughs> that's you work so collaboratively in in this industry that you know people don't want to work with a jerk so yeah yeah um, and comics is like it's too small of an industry and it pays too shitty for there to be room <laughs> for that you know everyone and they're and still somehow there are those people and yeah i say to hell with them Get them out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's, this is part of the show where we name names. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, I don't even have to. If you go on Twitter, like. Oh, yeah. Name. yeah. You can. Um, <laughs> they even have their own hashtag, man. It's, it's yeah. great. You can kind of. <laughs> so can you tell me about your upcoming book? It comes actually comes out a few days. Yeah, it comes out next week, so the um, a week from today, I guess. The so it's the collected edition of Black Stars Above, which is published by Vault Comics, and it's co-created by myself and Jenna Cha, and colored by Brad Simpson, and lettered by Hassan Atsmani Alhahu, and it's a cosmic horror, folk horror, historical fiction very strange mashup and yeah it's a weird one follows <laughs> a trapper in canada who sort of runs away from her family when she's given the opportunity to to flee from her her trap line uh, or her farmstead and uh, she takes it and finds herself lost in a very strange and dreamlike and nightmarish wilderness so i misread the synopsis of this book 
So I literally have 30 questions about trap music, the Atlanta <laughs> hip-hop. Uh, so, fuck. All right. What was your, what was your inspiration? Um, was, it that, was that a little bit of, like, local pride? Yeah. It, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm super aware of Canadian content and, like, how it's perceived in Canada and outside of Canada. And I wanted to make something that was distinctly Canadian, but also that had a wider appeal and that didn't feel like, like Canadian television is so embarrassingly bad. <laughs> and what are you talking about, man? You guys had the, the, the strange brew guys and it's terrible. Tim Horton ads. I'm yeah, exactly. That's like, like Canadian TV is like a, that's like a 30 minute Tim Horton's ad. <laughs> it's just the worst. And so I wanted to, I'm also a big fan of, of Canadian like novelists and stuff. And one of them is Margaret Atwood. And she has a book where she sort of talks about the history of Canadian literature and, and what sort of unifies it all as the, being this theme of survival. And so I wanted to write something that was in line with that and, and you know, bring, bring those ideas and mix them up with some other genres and, and write a comic that was Canadian because there's not that many. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's it's great that you were able to kind of draw from from local things and and just kind of take it into what is I'm sure a not a not something that people have really seen before. Yeah, and and that's like a, a big part of why I write and the kind of stuff I want to write is to give people things that are different and transgressive and not like anything else they're going to be able to get at the shop or in the bookstore. You know, of course, there's like a lot of influences. I'm not saying I, I'm not without influence, but I just mean I, I, I want my comics to feel like they're their own thing. I don't want people to pick it up and be like, oh, hey, this is like that book we read last week. Yeah, you, you don't want to be derivative. Yeah, exactly. That's completely understandable. And is there a reason why the you and the trapper kind of have the same look going on <laughs> no i don't know that's just that's just how jenna drew her that oh no i'm uh, sorry i'm looking at the preview and there's a guy oh, with a beard that looks just like <laughs> yeah maybe that's just like some subconscious thing that jenna was doing the art is gorgeous by the way oh my yeah. god yeah it's i feel really lucky to work with the to work with the team yeah, Jenna Cha is fantastic. And and how was working for Vault? Because they've been doing some really interesting things and putting out some just totally. stuff that nobody else really does. And yeah, they really blew up in the last... I mean, they're only like three or four years old at this point, which is crazy how, how much they've grown. I remember this was at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, like their first year. And they were literally sharing a table with a friend of mine, like in Artist Alley. They didn't have like a booth or anything. And I think they only had like one or two books. And that's when I, that was when I met Adrian, who's the editor-in-chief. Adrian Wassel? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were super open to like, because they were so small and so young, they were open to like working with pretty much anyone or, or like taking pitches from anyone. And they still are very open about it. But I got in with them because I I'd known Tim Daniel for for years, and he did some design work for me and stuff like that. And I reviewed some of his work and whatever. And you know, I told him that I was 
I would like to do something for Vault, but most of my stuff is not science fiction or fantasy, which is what they were doing predominantly at the time and still are, I guess. And he was like, no, 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 just like pitch. If you got a horror book, like pitch it. He was like, I can't say anything, but, you know, I think Vault might be doing some horror stuff um, in the future. So I sent the initial pitch for Black Stars Above to, to Tim and he liked it and he passed it off to Adrian and uh, sort of went back and forth. Adrian's a really like involved editor and likes to help sculpt the story uh, in the outline stage, at least. So, we, you know, we had back and forth and then eventually they greenlit the book. And it's, it was, Adrian's so, he's, he's really knowledgeable, not just about comics, but about literature and, and movies too. So someone who's able to sort of speak the same language as me. And I really respond to that kind of stuff. And then, you know, of all the publishers, I worked with even the the big ones like vaults. You can just see how much they care on social media. You know, like they're, they're promoting everything. They engage with everything. They interact with their fans, and I loved seeing that and and continuing to see that as the the trade comes out next week. I'm totally impressed on how they carry themselves on social media and their how it, like you said how hands on Adrian is with with the everyday of the company. How did you guys go about, how'd you go about finding your team for this book? So I'm really, really particular about the artists and colors and letters, the letterers that I work with. And so Adrian and I were kind of going back and forth for <clears throat> maybe six months about different artists and none of them were quite right. Uh, and I kept being like, nah, I don't think so. Or what about this person? And he'd be like, yeah, they're great. And then like two days later, I'd be like, nah, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, like the book wasn't coming out for a while. It insulate it. Excuse me. And then, <clears throat> so I, I was just, I do a lot of looking for artists too. And, and I just, it was during the, uh, a time when the women in comics hashtag was like going around. It, it sort of like blew up again. <laughs> And I was just sort of perusing through it to see people's portfolios. And then I, I came across Jenna's. And thankfully, I was like, I'd sorted the tweets just by like, uh, by like latest, not like top. And so I saw Jenna's and Jenna had like 100 followers on Twitter at the time. And like only two people had engaged with it. And I saw her work and I was like, holy shit, like, like I have to approach this person before someone else scoops her up for a project because she's her stuff's amazing and so i actually emailed adrian jenna's portfolio and i was like i think i think jenna's the one and then adrian emailed me back like 30 seconds later and he was like dude wait till you see the email i was just typing to you <laughs> and he sent me the email and it was like he was referring jenna to me because it weirdly turned out that Jenna was doing like a, a two-page short story in the back of an issue of Cult Classic, which they publish. And he would like forgotten about this thing. And then I guess she sent in some art and she was, and he was like, oh, this person would be good for Black Stars Above. So like simultaneously we had this like realization. And then, you know, we sent Jenna the pitch and uh, she read it and, and Jenna's really particular about her projects, but she liked it and she, she has extremely similar sensibilities to me in terms of storytelling and, and the kind of stuff we want to do. So it was just like a, a really perfect match that 
thankfully worked out. And then once Jenna was on board, it was kind of easy to, you know, talk to Jenna and, and Adrian and be like, okay, what kind of colorist do we want on this? And immediately we were like, Brad, and <laughs> we were like, what kind of letter <laughs> do we want? And I was like, I don't want anyone to letter this other than Hassan. I, I really so, wish I could have been a fly on the wall during your pitch to them. And you're like, all right, it's about a fur trapper in 1800s. <laughs> now, now, wait, wait, hold up. <laughs> Hear me out. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's so rad. I love this so much. It's like someone said to me the other day, oh man, <laughs> someone, I was just talking to a friend of mine, um, Dennis Camp, who, who wrote, he did a book at Vault that I'm now blanking on the name of Maxwell's Demons. And he was just, I was, I was talking to him about the trade release and he was like, do you realize like that this book is crazy that somebody published it? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it until that moment. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's true. And like, <clears throat> yeah, now that you say that, I'm like, that is a terrible pitch. Like, <laughs> got this story that takes place 200 years ago about a fur trapper in Canada, but I don't know. <laughs> in my head, it doesn't sound like that. But that's what right. it is. <laughs> so, uh, you guys, I'm talking to the audience now. You guys, not only will this be one, if if not the best book you've read all year, it will be the best book you've ever read, the best comic book you've ever read about a fur trapper in 1800s <laughs> Canada. Like, yes, far none. Like you could just lay down the hammer right now. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> so. Can you talk a little bit about your filmmaking experiences? Because I'm I'm curious. You you live in Vancouver, that is also New York City and California and Seattle. Yeah, and anywhere else they want it to be. Tell yes. tell us about your experiences do, doing that. Yeah, so I actually moved out here. I'm I'm from the East Coast of Canada, and so I I moved out here do film. I went to film school. And then uh, I started working in film. I was working for a bunch of different film agencies and production companies doing like really various jobs, a lot of shitty jobs, but it was my way into the industry. And then I was working on sets, like I was part of the art department for some reason. And then I started doing script reading and, and giving script feedback. But at the end of the day, it all sucked because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, which was to, you know, write and direct my own stories. And so it, it just got to a point where I was breaking my back for these people and, and feeling no sense of appreciation and working on projects that I thought were dog shit. And I had a job at a place and then they offered me a promotion to be like a an agent slash producer and I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be a writer, director. And they, they, the guy told me, oh, but if you take this job, you'll have something to fall back on when your writing career doesn't take off in three years. What a dickhead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah no. So I, I quit that day. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not, not only am I not taking that job, I'm done with this place and I'm done working in film until I can do it on my own terms. And I took a shitty ass job that paid very poorly at a bookstore, but it allowed me the time to uh, write and work on my pitches and, and that kind of stuff. So 
ultimately, even though I struggled for a few years, it was the right decision to make. And I'm glad I did that. Did you feel like you were just kind of stepping off into the deep end while you were, you're, you're, you're making a, a massive life decision when you decide to go into any type of industry, like, like writing or, or film? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think I was worried, but I was young enough at the time that, you know, I was in my twenties still. And so it was just kind of like, it's, it's gotta be now or never kind of thing. And so I think my, my, my dad was more worried than anything that I was like <laughs> turning into a bum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, parents are going to worry. Yeah. And, and so it was definitely a risk, but it, it was just kind of what I knew I needed to try. And if it didn't work, I, I knew I could always go back to, to doing film stuff that paid better. Or I also had a background in like school administration stuff. So I could always like fall back on that kind of stuff if I needed to. That's awesome. So yeah, I, w- I was talking to Jerry Conway a few months ago and the the guy that created, you know, and killed Gwen Stacy and <laughs> created the Punisher and did all this other stuff. His folks were immigrants and they thought he was insane. They were terrified. They thought he was going to be a bum until he started writing Perry Mason. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, Okay, yeah. we get it now. That was yeah. their, that was their bar. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're good, you're good. We're not yeah. we don't have to worry about you anymore. I'd had I had had things published and stuff, but it wasn't until I, I got my gig at Marvel that my dad was like, okay, like I get it, I know what that is. <laughs> so now I know that you're okay. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you are writing, when you're doing your job. Are, are you a morning writer? Are you a daytime writer? Do you treat it like a job or do you write when it strikes? And how do you separate this stuff from, you know, the rest of your life? Because you have to have, I'm sure you have other things going on outside of what you do for a living. I don't, sadly. I'm a sad <laughs> human being. <laughs> I Well, it, it's kind of weird, particularly right now, because I have a, I have a, writing day job on a contract right now that I just started like two months ago for doing some video game writing. So like my days and I'm expected to sort of, you know, be writing that uh, nine to five. So I, I'm regimented strictly because I now have (laughs) a job where people are watching over me. (laughs) Um, And you know, I have deadlines and stuff. So like, it's really regimented in that sense. So right now my life is kind of, you know, I start work at nine, take a break for lunch for an hour and then work through till five, take another break, usually longer than I intended to be. And then for another few hours at night, I'll work on comic stuff that's um, awesome. or film stuff as the case is today. And so that's just how it's been for the last couple months. But usually I try to sort of get up at a somewhat reasonable hour, start writing by 10 earlier if possible, but not usually. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I write until, you know, somewhere around dinner time, and then I stop. And if I feel shitty about the work I've done that day, I'll, I'll keep working at night. Or sometimes I'll just sort of, you know, kick back, do some reading, play some video games, go skateboarding, whatever I feel like doing, spend time with my wife. What do you do for self-care? Because that's, you know, you, you're literally on your ass in front of a 
computer screen all day, just, you know, tapping away. So Dude, I'm the worst. I'm the worst <laughs> at self-care. Like, <laughs> my wife tells me, like, she's often tr- encourages me to, like, be better to myself. <laughs> but I'm so, like, I feel guilty when I'm not working, which is, like, a really bad habit. So it it's, it's weird. But, yeah, I'm trying to, to get better. And, and I think self-care for me is just taking time off and letting my brain rest, but also fueling my brain in a sense. Uh, which means like watching movies or reading books. So I do that uh, a lot. And then I I also have been trying to draw a lot more recently and and go skateboarding more recently. So try to do those things and, you know, being active in in skating, I've realized like how, how important that is to me and like staying sane and keeping my brain functioning so I can actually be able to write. That's that's great. I I was talking to a friend who's an artist and he he will put records on and every time the record, you know, has to be turned over, that's his cue to get up and stretch because you know, he he got to keep hearing the music, so you mm. have to get up. And that that's his his way to kind of sneak in, you know, getting up. But and I brought this up to to Thompson about it, and she was like, "That's not possible. When you write, you know, you're <laughs> you're, you're literally thinking about this thing all day, and sometimes words don't hit the page until the right thing hits. And if you have to get up, you've just broken your entire concentration. So yeah." Yeah, I, I told I get both sides of that. I think it it's so weird. Like writing, I think takes it's more exhausting on your brain than being an artist. But being an artist is like, especially in comics, it's like you know you're you're sitting down and drawing for fourteen hours a day, and that is taxing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in, in every yeah. regard. But like like my wife Jenna can like she draws. She's, she drew Black Stars Above, so she's an artist. And she can sit down and, and like watch YouTube and listen to podcasts and watch movies and stuff while she's drawing. I, I could never do that as a, as a writer. But like I get my time off at night and like you know I get to sit there and like play video games or watch movies and she's like still stuck drawing because oh, it just uh, takes way longer. Oh, yeah, man. The artists are like, they're beasts. Yeah. They have to... You stay at that's that's a tough job so like you don't you don't listen to anything while you while you write oh i do i definitely do i just mean like i couldn't listen i can't listen to anything with with i anyone talking because that just like throws off oh, yeah, my yeah. concentration completely but uh yeah i listen i i i can almost it's almost hard for me to write if i'm not listening to to music i sort of make uh playlists and stuff or have certain albums in mind for everything i write and after a while, listening to those things is what helps me actually like get back in the space of the world that I. That's how you get this out. Yeah, you know when when certain if I've listened if I started writing uh, a book for example, and I guess I should just talk more concretely about it. I've been working on a graphic novel, and there's and I've been listening the bands I've been listening to for are the Dirty Three and Earth. And oh, okay, yeah. I have to like, I have to listen to those, or I can not get into the headspace of, of the world if I don't put one of those people on, one of those groups on. So like, it's this weird thing where you sort of like 
create that connection uh, and then become dependent on it for me. I've been, I, I, I try to write, not, you know, any, you know, I haven't had anything published yet, but my, my soundtrack lately has been Ohm, which is nice. The, like the drummer and the bassist for sleep and a son. I love son. Yeah. That's awesome. But that's, uh, it, it's like great writing music. Oh yeah. It, and the, the, there's not a whole lot of lyrics. It's just, you know, heavy drone and just, yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. get you in it. I, for a while I was listening to a lot of Nick Cave while I was writing something. It was so fucking dark. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, I'm like, I'm a huge, huge Nick Cave fan. So obviously with 33, but Nick Cave, like his, his movie soundtracks, I listen to a lot when I write. Also, oh, it's, he's like, brilliant. Warren Ellis. Yeah. They're just like, God, they just get to you. Yeah. Yeah. And the Warren Ellis is just a, and we're talking about the, the musician, not the, not the writer, but he, he's a, f- yeah, it's, I don't know. They just, especially listening to dirty three, you sort of realize his genius and how big a part of the bad seeds he is. Oh yeah, yeah. So are you? <laughs> so who who inspires you now? Like who who's somebody that's just really knocking your socks off? Nick Cave. <laughs> <laughs> there was supposed to be a speaking engagement in Nashville, and I was so looking forward to it, and then it got canceled because of COVID. So I, like, if he comes back. I so want to go because this yeah. Nashville's, I, th- I think, about three hours away from me. Mm. Man, yeah. Have you had a chance to, to see him live? I have not. I have oh, not. Yeah. I don't think he's been anywhere near here in, in a while. We, we don't get many people like him in Birmingham. So I've fortunately, I've seen him three times now. And yeah, I mean, it's just pretty intense like uh super intense he's like a god on stage it's weird like his presence you just feel it i I think the last big concert i went to was sleep and i could feel the feelings in in my teeth like rattle Mm. (laughs) it felt like my teeth were gonna fall out it was (laughs) it was so fucking loud but it, it was fantastic and it was my wife's first experience seeing them live as well and uh she she had listened to their music a little bit and liked it. My wife teaches kindergarten. She she's super smart, has like four degrees, and she mostly she likes a lot of indie rock, but didn't really veer into like stone or metal. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, "Holy shit, this is fantastic!" Yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was that's rad. Mm-hmm. Actually, answer your question of like who's inspiring me. Nick Cave is seriously like one of the people who inspires me daily. If Do you subscribe to his newsletter? I do not. I didn't know he had a newsletter. I'm so going to now. Yeah, it's called The Red Right Hand Files. And basically, he's opened a website for it where anyone can just ask him a question. And the it's not really a newsletter, I guess, but it comes in that forum. And every time he just picks a question that somebody's asked him and he answers it. And he sends it out about you know once a week. Um, oh, I'm signing up now, actually. <laughs> but his, his answers to these questions are so profound and moving that it's always, every time I get one, it inspires me to either want to write, to create something, or just to even you know be a better person or to 
it helps me understand the world in a, in a new way. And he usually sends them early morning my time. So it's, it's such a nice thing to be able to wake up to. And I'm also, you know, just inspired in general by his dedication to his art and his sort of no bullshit attitude and his, his, he just does what he wants to do. And he's always sort of been that kind of guy. So I, I really look up to him and, and have been a lot recently. That's awesome. So recently I, I discovered that Lemmy Kilmeister had a, a segment on a television show where he would answer questions that people wrote in. And I, I went down the rabbit hole watching that. And he was so sincere and yeah. like disarmingly loving in his responses. It was, it was, fa- if you get a chance, you have to watch it because it's, it's literally like the, the gruffest dude ever tr- thinking very thoughtfully about stuff and answering questions. But it's just like, he's, he has a big heart. <laughs> that sounds great. So, yeah. Nick Cave is fantastic, and I always want to ask people: comics don't can't exist in the present form without the direct market. Do you have any like local comic shops that you want to like shout out? Sure, yeah. There's the shop I go to most is called Golden Age Collectibles. They're in uh, Vancouver on, on Granville Street. They have a sister store in Seattle. And they, their staff is just like, man, they're the nicest people. Uh, and the owner has been so kind to me. He, he has a signing every time I have a book come out. He does a signing for me. Super nice, nice people. Another local store is Eighth Dimension, um, also run by really great local people who love comics. And then there's another store that they're interesting. They don't actually stock like too much single issues, they, but they stock a lot of indie stuff. And I mean, like, you know, drawn in quarterly or fantagraphics and then even like local zine makers and stuff. And they're called Luckies. And, and yeah, they're, they're, they're great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love hearing people's experiences with their, with their LCS and just hearing how, how much part of the community they can be. And especially with, with people that, you know, that they get people to, to read the indie books a lot of people start with the big two and then kind of branch out. Yeah. Those guys are, are invaluable for, for getting new readers in the store and then getting people onto, onto the real stuff, getting people onto the, the stuff that, you know, Marvel or DC couldn't print. Yeah, so, exactly. So do you have anything coming up that we need to look out for outside of your, your book coming out on next, next Wednesday? Yeah, next Wednesday. So yeah, uh, Black Stars Above next Wednesday, that's July 29th. And then Zach Thompson and myself have a series coming out called Undone by Blood. And that's a sort of neo-modern Western coming out through Aftershock. There's four issues out now, more coming, you know, in subsequent months. And that's all I have announced right now that I can talk about. (laughs) awesome so (laughs) all right well man it's been a pleasure talking to you and i'm i'm so happy that uh we got to kind of speak on all the hats that you wear so (laughs) yeah thanks so much for having me this was uh, a lot of fun anytime you want to come back i'd love to talk to you yeah so you guys get out there get this book lonnie nadler 
man, you've been great. And uh, thank you again. Stay safe, mask up, and hang in there, buddy. Because if if it's like it is up there, like it is down here, we're, we're in it for a while. Yeah, agreed. And, and likewise, you stay safe. All right. Thanks, man. Take it easy, brother. And cut. Lonnie, thank you so much, man. Yeah, no worries, man. Thanks thanks for, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Dude, it's been great. I'm so glad the power didn't go out. I was, <laughs> I was shitting my pants the whole time. Like, <laughs> I, so the, the power was out before we, like, it literally came on, like, right when I messaged you, like, the, I think, like, the second time. Yeah. Um, and I was, I couldn't get, we, we live out in the middle of nowhere. So my phone reception is terrible. It was taking me, like, a good minute and a half to send a message to uh, our guy that, that fixes everything, Jeff. It took me a, a good, like almost two minutes to get him a message. And he sent me your info on a picture. I was like, I can't read this. This isn't going <laughs> through this. I'm in the booties, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm it worked out. out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. Like, the storming had stopped about an hour ago, and then the power goes out, like, right after. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's been crazy weather-wise here. It's, it's, the heat index has been, like, 102, oh, and then we're getting, on top of that, it's muggy as hell, because oh, we're getting God. all these, like, just afternoon storms. Yeah. So, on the plus side, my maters look great. So that's <laughs> Lonnie. T- take it easy, brother. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. And and I'm happy to come back anytime. All right, thanks, man. And, and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, man. Thank you too. Right, bye. And we're back. We are back with a vengeance. With a vengeance. Is it Die Hard with a Vengeance or just with a vengeance? I think it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. You know, I, that, that was the first Die Hard movie I saw was the third one. Really? I remember when Die Hard 2 came out. But before yeah. it came out, it was like the first movie that I really anticipated. You know what I mean? Like, I knew it was coming and I saw Die Hard. It was like, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Raiders of the Lost Ark 2. Um, I was too young to really register that this big movie was coming. You know, you know, right. that all these other people were excited about because I was like, you know, eight or nine when Raiders of the Lost Ark part two came out, maybe 10 at the most. I don't think when did what year did Raiders of the Lost Ark two come out? Oh, geez. I don't know. Uh, 80. I don't know. The 80s. I, don't, I just I don't, don't remember being very excited for it, you know, and then Star Wars, you know, what the first one was 1977. I was three. Right. You, you know, and, you loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved them because. But I, it, it didn't dawn on me that people were excited about these things coming, right? Even though they would read right. it in trade magazines or you'd see – you wouldn't know it was coming until the first commercial came out on TV, really. Because there was no internet that had rumors going around, right? Unless you're, like, reading trade magazines and stuff. Right. I kind of missed but that. I kind of missed Di- the not knowing until you see a trailer. Yeah. Die Hard 2, though, I would never forget. I was on the bus, and I had this crush on this girl named Tammy Bowman. And we always sat next to each other on the bus. Right. And she goes, did you see Die Hard 2's coming out? And I'm like, Die Hard 2? She's like, yeah, it's Die Hard 2, Die Harder. And I'm like, no, it's not. They did not use Die Hard 2, <laughs> Die Harder. Come on. That's just silly. <laughs> and then it came out, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. And it was. And it was great. <laughs> 
I really yeah. I saw I saw with a vengeance. I thought I saw Die Hard with a Vengeance first, and I didn't know there was two before it. I just what? When it came out. It was it, well, it was early nineties. I was like I was like you know barely a teenager when it came out, and I just saw Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I went and saw it, and I was like, oh, this is this is amazing, and then I was like. My dad was like, no, there's there's two more before this. Like, there's two more of these. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Die Hard with the Vengeance is so different than Die Hard and Die Harder. But, you know, they're all good. They're all good. But the, the first one's the best. I mean, Hans yeah, Gruber is one great. of the greatest antagonists of all time. Oh, for sure. For sure. That movie's amazing. Yeah. But we totally got off <laughs> on a tangent there. Because That's somehow we got into movies when we just got done listening to Lon- Lonnie Nadler talk about Marvel and all the writings that he's done and what'd you think of that? I thought it was great. As I said before, man, this was a, this one was a lot of fun and uh, uh, Casey, you know, did a, a fantastic job as always. Funny side story, Casey was saying today in our chat room that one of his coworkers was listening to one of the shows that Casey interviewed somebody on. He goes, man, yeah. you're a lot nicer on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he's not though. He really isn't. Casey's like, a jerk That's because Casey time. does his NPR voice. <laughs> yeah, he does his NPR voice. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. I Ugh. think that's a show. Yeah, that, that's a show, man. There you go. All right, guys. If you enjoyed that, which I'm pretty sure you did, because you're still here listening to me tell you if you enjoyed this, you should go back to Spoilerverse.com and go through our back issues. There's tons of interviews there with a lot of people, not just comic book writers, but comic book artists and movie directors and editors and actors and all the things in between man we we try to run the gambit here and we have a lot of fun doing it yep and while you're there check out all the other shows that we have with all their back issues check out our reviews and previews we got three more people writing reviews for us right now doing some amazing stuff and we got so much content coming out every day that i can't even tell you all about it and while you're on splitverse.com you gotta make sure you click on that store link go to the store pick up a t-shirt a hoodie face mask whatever look fly as hell and help support the site out a little bit there you guys go all right johnny there's only one left thing one less thing one left thing one thing left Damn, man, yeah. i cannot <laughs> talk today <laughs> yeah, well, that's all, what is that kid right one now? thing left in oceans of see in oceans of podcasts <laughs> <laughs> in oceans of podcasts we are good let's go do what compels you to do open the mind and read more <laughs> Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's special. That was very special.